When you think about France, what do you think of? Maybe croissants, the Eiffel Tower, wine. I feel like a lot of culinary things. But how about clay? Welcome to the Sporting Around the World podcast. My name is David. And with me yet again is Bobby. Today we'll be talking about the French Open. Bobby, are you a big fan of tennis? Well, I enjoy the sport. It's a nice thing to play recreationally. Uh, I'll say that watching it, it's a marathon because those matches last a long time. It's a lot of back and forth rallying, but um, good, good background noise, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, I feel like um, another fault of the tennis majors is that they're so long. You know, they last weeks. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that kind of leads to fatigue, you know, for some people. And then, you know, early on, you get these high seeds versus low seeds and, you know, you, you kind of expect certain things to happen. And, you know, I, especially in the early rounds, I feel like I don't turn it on unless I get my ESPN ping that like, you know, someone's in trouble, uh, you know, and upsets happening. Yeah, we we talked about that in a previous episode, the luck in sports. Tennis doesn't have a whole ton of luck. You don't see those upsets happening too often. But when they do, spicy. Gotta watch. Yeah, yeah, very spicy. So as some of you may know, the French Open is one of the four major tournaments in tennis. The other major tournaments, of course, are the Australian Open, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open. The Australian Open and the U.S. Open are both played on hard surfaces. Wimbledon, of course, is played on grass courts. But the French Open is played on clay. So, Bobby, I have two small trivia questions for you. All right. Uh, one you might know. Uh, one, I don't expect you to know at all. Okay. Which is, you know, you're already at 50%. It's looking, not looking good. Your report card, your parents are going to be upset. <laughs> so, uh, one of the majors, one of the other majors, um, has previously played on clay courts. Do you know which major was previously played on clay? It wasn't for very long. Only two, two years. Uh, who? Okay. So I'm going to rule out Wimbledon. I'll say the U S open. That's right. So okay. actually the U S open's been played on grass, clay, and then the hard service that it's played on now. But oh. yeah, from 1975 to 1977, it was on uh, clay, which I didn't know. No, um, but I, I, I figured Wimbledon, just rule that out. Aussie Open, I didn't really know. It was one of those two. Might as well be the U.S. Open. So it, it, I feel like it's very on brand for us to try different things and then like settle on yeah. <laughs> the, whatever we decide. Um, and the second question, before the French Open was played on clay, do you know what kind of service it was played on? Uh, I feel grass was the most common back in the day. So grass? No, it was played on sand, which I assume so was what? packed sand. Okay, I would have never guessed that. Like, I know <laughs> some people say, like, carpet was a surface that you can play on. I think that's, like, for indoor tennis, but, but sand. Yeah, yeah. So back uh, 1891 through 1907, uh, and it Jeez. wasn't called the French Open back then, but, you know, the tournament that predates the French Open was played on sand. Wow. Yeah. Who would have guessed? No, never. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would have, I, you know, I, if you were to ask me that question, I also would have picked grass. I think the Australian Open was also originally played on grass before they switched over to hard services. So it was a good guess. I just knew I was going to get you. It was a trap. Yeah. <laughs> a sand trap. <laughs> so let's go through a very brief history of the tournament, just because it's been around for so long and, you know, we're not going to hit everything. But it was founded initially in 1891. Uh, the Championnat de France, or the French Championships. Once, uh, before we continue, let me just say, any French pronunciation is going to be butchered. It is what it is. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, this being a, a, world, um, a, you know, a major for a sport that's played around the world. Also, last names are going to get slaughtered. It, it is what it is. But originally, it was open to 
only tennis players who are a member of French clubs. And this was probably before professional tennis was a thing, so all amateurs. Unfortunately for the French, the first winner uh, was a Brit. So his first name's lost to history, but I guess on the trophy it's H. Briggs. Huh. Yeah. Just gone. Yeah, no record. yeah. So if you look up him on Wikipedia, it's like two sentences, and it's like, we don't know his first name. And then, you know, he beat this person, whose na- first name we also don't know, a Frenchman. Wow. Yeah, I, I just found that interesting that we don't have that. It doesn't seem that long ago, but I guess I also understand, you know, records be hard to keep. I guess they didn't think this would become a a major thing every year. Yeah, and I guess I guess it was an amateur tournament at the time, you know, so it's like, you know, maybe you think it just sits with clubs and, you know, who cares about Horace or whatever his name, you know, I don't know any other, Henry, Harrison. Henry Briggs, Harrison Briggs. But anyway, so not too long after in 18, 1897, the first women's tournament was held. Mixed doubles was added in 1902, and then women's doubles soon after that in 1907, uh, which seems like a quick transition between, you know, I feel like in other sports, there's this kind of big gap. But uh, for the French Open, you know, very quick to add the women's version of the tournament. Yeah, uh, I'm surprised, too. Like, 1800s. Wow. Yeah. Progressive. So, and then the French Championships was designated a major championship in 1925. And now the French Open is called by many names. Officially, the name is Les Internationales de France de Tennis, which just means uh, the French Internationals of Tennis. The tournament also uses the name of the venue, Roland Garros, in all languages as kind of the name of the tournament. But it's known as the French Open here in the United States. Uh, speaking of venues, it's been played in seven different venues before settling down at Stade Roland Garros in 1928. Uh, we won't go through all of them, but Roland Garros, the stadium's named after a World War I pilot who was known for being one of the first fighter pilots, I guess, and is considered to be the world's first fighter ace. But technically, he only downed four aircrafts, and the modern standard of an ace is minimum of five. So technically, he's not an ace but a lot of people consider him to be the first ace. You're just hitting off with this pub trivia stuff here. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, I, this is the stuff that I personally can't get enough of. That's, that's what you're going to get is just ran, random stuff like this. But yeah, so there you go. Brief, brief run through of, of the past. We're going kind of more modern. Uh, this edition of the 2023 French Open will be the 127th edition of the tournament. So if you're doing the math, Bobby... You know, that means there's five years it was not played. Do you want to guess what the uh, what stopped it? There were some big events happening in France during that time. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to say a world war, specifically <laughs> yeah. the second one. <laughs> so it, it, they took four years off uh, 1915 to 1919 in the first world war and then only 1940 in the second world war, huh. which, it could, you know, I, I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah, yeah. What would have expected the second world war, but uh, I guess it makes sense too for the first one. Yeah, I read All Quiet on the Western Front. I remember flipping the eggs while the bombs coming down, like France, France. I remember. <laughs> yeah, they had a rough go during those times. So, last thing I want to mention once again, very much pub trivia. It felt very French to me, so I felt like I had to mention it. So, a general strike took place in 1968. And that led to the French championships becoming the first Grand Slam tournament to go open, meaning professionals and amateurs could compete against one another. It felt very French. I felt like I had to mention it. You know, they're kind of famous for their strikes and, uh, you know, (laughs) 
There's one I, going on right now, or I guess I don't know if it's ended. I think it's still going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I knew that the major championships switched from amateur to uh, professional around that time, and I remember back when we covered Australia. There was that brief time where there was separate amateur and professional majors going on. Just uh, crazy to think it, it took until the '60s for this. I I feel like the governing bodies would have no issue with professionals and amateurs playing unless you thought maybe it would hinder the growth of the sport and people wouldn't become amateur because they'd be beat, beaten by professionals. But I feel like it's only 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 good. You get those nice stories of amateurs, you know, giving professionals a hard time. And then, you know, who knows what could happen? I feel like it's a lot more frequent with like golf. You'll see amateurs, you know, winning major tournaments, but um, it's it's nice. And having one one tournament winner for a specific championship seem or you right. know like regional you know country or regional championship seems seems good yeah I, I get what you're saying i just immediately thought back to the whole luck in sports like oh yeah golf there's a lot of randomness with that <laughs> yeah of course an amateur could like happen to hit their shot perfectly rolls down stuff that you can't pinpoint tennis though long grueling marathons yeah yeah and no situation, you know, like golf where you're like, oh, there's going to be 20 mile per hour winds today and, you know, it's going to be a miserable time. But anyway, sorry, this is tennis. We're talking about tennis. So I mentioned the clay surface earlier. There's actually a very small layer of clay on the court. I have a picture of the composition for you, Bobby. Uh, there are five layers total. I think this is, you know, pretty standard. You're going to have these big rocks that kind of help with drainage. And then it's going to decrease in size, go to crushed gravel and then clinker, which is a residue from like burning coal, I think. And then crushed limestone, which is almost, I assume, very similar to sand. It's very finely ground. And then a thin layer of red brick dust, which produces, obviously, the color that we're so familiar with with the French Open. Yeah, so just looking at this very, very thin layer of what you call the clay. But I guess guess it makes sense that there'd be, like, multiple surfaces. Just, dude, you're giving me so many lessons here. I didn't think I'd be getting something in... uh composition of court surfaces court court composition that's right we cover it all here on the podcast even if you didn't want to know it you're gonna learn about it. but so why does the surface matter so I, I feel like this is relatively common knowledge but we'll go over it so the clay courts slow down the ball grass courts are faster and these courts will also produce higher bounces for um uh, you know when it makes contact so this means big servers, the power servers, have less of an advantage because, you know, who cares how hard you're hitting it if the court's slowing it down. And serve and volley strategy players, which I think was big in like the 70s and 80s. And I think it's still big. It's still an effective strategy, but that strategy is less effective on clay courts. So if you're not familiar with tennis or if you don't necessarily know the strategies, because you could watch tennis and not understand how, you know, the players are approaching it. But the serve and volley strategy is where server... As soon as they serve, they advance to the net and they try to hit the ball back off the return before the bounce. Um, and this is called a volley in tennis. Um, but it's uh, supposed to be a quick way to score. And you kind of take advantage of poor returns. And if you're very nimble, um, you can get up there, make the adjustment and quickly score the point. You're really not trying to get on these long trades. So on a slower court, less effective. Right. And, and hey, when the ball is moving a bit slower, we already said that tennis is grueling, and now it's going to go even longer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and actually this disadvantage 
can be seen with the list of notable players who have won multiple majors but have never won at the French Open. So most notably is Pete Sampras, who won 14 majors during his career but had no French Open wins. And then some familiar names on that list for me, and probably you also, Bobby, uh, John McEnroe, Jimmy Connors, and Venus Williams have never won the French Open. A brief caveat, and this might also be true for the other players, but Venus Williams did win the French Open in doubles when she was playing with her sister Serena. But for this, you know, never won the singles tournament. Yeah, a lot lot of big name American players there. And we covered Jimmy Connors last time with Argentina. Stole the uh, number one ranking. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there were um, a few notable Australians on the list, too, but I had never heard of them. And I'm sure, you know, Australian listeners wouldn't would know about them, but they didn't have as many wins as John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors uh, in terms of major wins. Uh, so I just didn't look on the list. There's a list. It's out there. There's a, a decent amount of players who play that kind of fast style that struggled at uh, that have struggled at the French Open. Right. And then we got the inverse, who does well yeah. here. Yeah, so if your game is more suited to the jump of your surface, those players tend to do very well at the French Open. Uh, most notably, Bjorn Berg, but also, you know, if you know for the French Open, you know Rafael Nadal. Um, so Berg had won, uh, won, has won six French Opens, and Nadal has won a whopping 14. Insane. It is bonkers. The more I read about Nadal's performances at the French Open, the more astounded I am. We'll get back to that. We're going to talk about him later. So the difference between uh, the difference in play between grass and clay is very noticeable. Also, when you look at the number of male players who have won both Wimbledon and the French Open during the Open era. Um, so these players are Rod Laver, Jan Kodes, Bjorn Berg, Andre Agassi, Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, and Novak Djokovic. That's all. That's all of them, which seems right, crazy. Yeah. Not, not a whole lot of carryover between the two. It's, yeah. It's tough. And uh, when it comes to women's players, this feat seems to be more common. I don't think I saw, looking at major winners, you know, if you they'd won the French Open a couple times, they'd also probably won Wimbledon. Who knows what, for what reason that is, but it's not as, it's not as uh, catchy of a stat when you start listening off the women's players who have won right, both, because right. it becomes a relatively normal thing. I guess the, the, the best players tend to win most things on the women's side. Whereas, you know, maybe there's a little more parity on the men's side. Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. But only seven men during the open era, including the big three. So <laughs> you got to be really good to win both. Yeah, and I think Bjorn Berg did the, I guess it's, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's when you win Wimbledon and the French Open the same year. He did that three years back to back, which is crazy. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> Uh, so the tournament format for both the men and the women's features a 128 player draw. If you win seven rounds, you're the champion. There are men and women's doubles. They feature 128 players as well, but have one less round to play. So you still have that 128 players. It's just six rounds instead of seven. And then mixed doubles only have 64 players. So 32 teams are present. And the men's singles are the only tournament to play best of five sets. Everyone else plays best of three. Um, so let's talk about hardware. Trophies for the men's and women's singles tournament. So since 1953, the trophies have been awarded to the winners. They are made by a famous Parisian jewelry house called the Meliro Dietz Meller, which is a butcher of the pronunciation. But these trophies are made out of pure silver. And when you win the first time, your name is etched onto the trophy and uh, you're giving a miniature pure silver replica to take home. So the men's trophy is called the Coupe de Mousquetaire or the Musketeer's Cup. 
Um, it's a riff off the Alexandre Dumas novel we all know called The Three Musketeers. Uh, this trophy was named after the four top French tennis competitors during the 1920s and 1930s. That seems very specific, but uh, these four men have 20 Grand Slam titles and 23 Grand Slam double titles. So they were, you know, very good. And that is Jean Barotra, Jacques Brunon, Henri Cochette, and Rene Lacoste. And I have a picture of the of the trophy right there for you, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. So pure silver, like the entire thing, there's no other material in it? Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's my understanding. Yeah, that's uh, that's something. And you get to take a little one home, so... Yeah, a little baby trophy. <laughs> little baby trophy. And then Rafael Nadal's just sitting there with like 14 little little cups, have like 14 friends over. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder how how big it is, the replicas, because, like, is it just you having tea out of the cups, you know? You have a tea party with your miniature French vendor <laughs> replicas, or are you having cereal? Cereal parties at uh, Raphael Nadal's house. <laughs> yeah, it looks like they're maybe a fifth of the size of the regular one. So very small. Put a little trinket on your shelf, like that kind of thing. Yeah, at this point, does it even matter? You know, right, What do you even do with the newest ones if you have 14 or you know, 13 other ones? You, what, what do you do? You're just like, all right. Just got to find another place for it. Or it's like, you know, the closet with like a box full of just <laughs> French open trophies in the doll's house, you know, in the attic. Someone climbs up there. Oh, here the, here's all your replica trophies. Like, yeah, it's my 14th one. It's not a big deal. I don't know. Questions we need to ask. Put it, let's get them on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so the women's singles trophy is called the Coupe Suzanne Longlin or the Suzanne Longlin Cup in English. Um, it's been awarded since 1979. The current version was awarded for the first time in 1986, and it's a replica of the cup offered to Longland by the city of Nice. The original was donated to the National Museum of Sports and was awarded to the top women's player between 1979 and 1985 until they made a copy. And like the men's trophy, you know, the winner receives a smaller pure silver replica to keep as well. Yeah, I see the picture there. It, it is small. I'm just wondering now, like, I don't know if any tennis players have to worry about this because I'm sure they get decent prize money. But hearing stories of some professional athletes like selling off their World Series rings or something. And this is just pure silver. Like you could melt that down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, uh, an ingot, an ingot of silver. Yeah. And interesting. I feel like silver isn't really, I, I guess maybe in the tennis world, there's a lot of things that are silver, but normally silver isn't prized as heavily as like, you know, gold. But I guess this tournament's been around for so long silver you know has been a bigger deal in the past but i don't know i guess maybe some people would consider gold kind of gaudy looking you know silver's kind of clean looking as long as you get the tarnish off right right i don't know some people just don't care for the look of gold things i think of jewelry silver jewelry is a bit more reserved in my opinion now we're just getting mm. into fashion i'll stop there <laughs> this is, we're starting a fashion podcast next week featuring <laughs> bobby's hot takes on fashion we, we mentioned him earlier. I feel like we can't discuss the French Open without talking about Rafael Nadal's dominance at this tournament. So 14 of his 22 major wins have come at the French Open. At one point, he had never lost a French Open with four wins. Um, and this was in 2009. So I can't imagine, you know, going to a tournament, winning every single time, you know, four years in a row. His most recent title was last year in 2022. Some crazy facts right here. So between 2005 and 2014, he had won nine out of the 10 French Opens. So a run of four years, he lost in 2009, and then a run of five years after that. Took a couple years off. And then between 2017 and 2022, he won five out of six Opens, which is just nutty. 
Yeah, like nutty that one person can dominate at one event for so long. And like tennis is really competitive. Uh, he's played in the era of he had Federer and Djokovic there, but no, Nadal had a monopoly on one tournament. He's the clay master in a way that kind of hindered like the reputation for a while. Like he didn't win as often at the other ones, but uh, story for another time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get back to it uh, eventually. So unfortunately, and you may you may know this, but uh, he had to pull out of this year's tournament due to an injury. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he expects to play there for at least one more tournament before he retires. He's getting up there. I think he's thinking about it. And of right. course, with the recent injury, you have to ask those questions when you're getting up there. Yeah. And you don't want to stop like you don't want your last French Open to be. Oh, no, I had to pull out injured. You're coming back one last ride. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get that standing ovation, you know, regardless of if you win or not. And, you know, the, the pause and, you know, it's going to be a big TV event. Whenever it's like uh, probably every single game is going to be televised, you know, if, if you've decided it's your last two uh, to make sure, you know, you get the proper send off. But yeah, just a freakishly disgusting dominance doesn't make any sense. Uh, shouldn't be allowed. <laughs> but yeah, so focusing on this tournament uh, this year for the men's side, there are two favorites for the tournament with the dog on Carlos Alcaraz and of course, Novak Djokovic. Carlos won the US Open last year. He's only 20 years old, and mm-hmm. uh, so I think he's you know kind of on the up and up. And of course, most people know Djokovic, who's been dominant at the Australian Open and also has 22 major titles. So uh, maybe looking for the separator this tournament to kind of distinguish himself past Federer and Nadal. Right, and without... Well, Federer's retired. Nadal can't play, so it's wide open. He can... Yeah, this, it's yours for the taking. But uh, yeah, Alcaraz, the, the new kid on the block... I mean, when you're only 20 years old, everyone's just thinking you have all these years ahead of you to rack up titles. Once Djokovic and uh, Nadal are just gone from the sport, it's the Wild West again. Who's going to emerge as the new face for men's tennis? And maybe it'll be Alcaraz. Yeah, I think um, it's a very exciting time in tennis because it seems like on both sides, you know, the next great spot is open you know it's getting to where it's available for whoever takes it Mm -hmm. i feel like especially for the women's side i'm hoping it's going to be fun uh (laughs) watching the french open this year uh just because serena's gone and you know every major for that matter and uh i'm hoping it'll be like the wild west you know and just (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know however this year i think iga sviantek is the clear favorite i think she's been kind of on a tear recently but who knows The, the french open is a different beast I mean, she's also really young. She's either 20 or 21 years old. And she's won the previous two or no, two of the previous three French Opens. So, yeah, I think I saw the betting odds. and She was like way ahead of everyone else. Yeah, I think she was like the odds where and at this point, it's still early on in the tournament. But the odds were you pay money, you bet on her, you lose money. Like it's that's how far ahead she is. Gosh. And what a name too, Sviantek, like the, the Polish stuff. Yeah, and there's no in it there. So, yeah, yeah. You know, Poland, we're going to have to have words about <laughs> how you d- do words, because yeah. let me tell you. An, an A with a little squiggly has an N. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. sound. Uh, as far as any other players, I'm not too in tune with the world of tennis. I, I recognize some of the names here. Uh, Stan Wawrinka, one of the best players outside of the big three for a while. He's going to be at the tournament. He's 38 now. So 
we'll see how he holds up. And then we, we covered in previous country episodes, Dominic Team from Austria and Grigor Dimitrov from Bulgaria. They're both at the tournament, too. Yeah, we're starting to make the rounds. So, you know, people were covering, playing major. We're coming back to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Eventually, we'll know every athlete in the world. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's someone from each of the continents here, except Antarctica. But one next day, year, Antarctica. <laughs> yeah, so the tournament's just getting started. I think it started the 22nd of May. But it will go for three weeks. It, uh, I think the finals are June 11th. So a long tournament, seven rounds, 127 matches total. Realistically, I probably won't be watching too much French Open this weekend. <laughs> it's the, the 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 first couple rounds, you know, as it kind of tightens up and you start getting those big matches between big names. I'm sure, um, like most people, I'll be tuning in, and it's a, it's a good um, work from home situation because they play matches all day. You know, they, mm-hmm. it's constantly going, and so there'll be tennis on, and definitely one that you can don't have to necessarily pay attention. You can kind of just <laughs> pick your head up, look at the score, go back down. Maybe a set's about to end, so you watch those last couple points. And then, yeah, and I think France is, what, probably six hours to eight hours ahead of most of the you know, United States. You know, yeah. six, six to nine hours ahead of most United States. So, um, but yeah, should be interesting. I think major tournament tennis that last weekend is always fun to watch. Yeah, you get down to those last few matchups, like all the, the big names. And then there's always someone who wasn't seated. So someone lower on on the rankings making their way into the final four, potentially. Uh, But one thing I forgot to mention earlier is that Alcaraz and Djokovic uh, are ranked one in three for this tournament. So they're on the same half of the bracket. I think the the Russian guy, uh, Medvedev, he's the two seed. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. What I'm saying is Alcaraz and Djokovic, not possible to face each other in the finals. That's right. It would either be one or the other yeah but the, it could be a semi-final matchup between the two and i think that's what yeah, everyone would be, would be pooping. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 i think you know we we definitely want the giants to clash you definitely don't want you know because the way the tournament's like most tournaments are structured you know you're kind of given an easier road if you're the higher seed i mean you definitely want those big matches where someone has to really earn their spot you don't have someone coming up and it's like oh you get to play another lower ranked guy to get into the finals you know even if they, they earned it and it's not fair to that person who pulled off the upsets you know it's still kind of seen as less appealing yeah we're, we're after those tv ratings <laughs> that's right we're it's all about money here <laughs> and if we're not making more money uh what's the what's the point i'm sure next year's uh french open if it is going to be nadal's last will be a very lucrative event for the tv uh people uh for the tournament I, i'm sure the sponsorship dollar you know people will be watching whenever he plays and um those will be primetime commercial slots, you know? <laughs> right. And I don't know if this affects things at all, but Paris Olympics is also next year in the summer. So, uh, I don't know, just a lot of eyes on France. Yeah, I'm excited for the Olympics. It hasn't been that long, but it feels every time, just two years are long, you know, you get the wait. <laughs> and then four if you're trying to see the same. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Truthfully, I think COVID just kind of messed up all, all the appeal for me. It just felt like it wasn't advertised well the past yeah yeah hopefully we'll get back into it yeah but anyway we'll talk about that we'll talk about that next year next year it's a topic for next year next year (laughs) but yeah so that's probably where we'll we'll leave it it's it's still so early on we don't really want to get too far in the weeds and there's so many players um participating and this is you know just a spinoff episode we you know we just gave you an hour long argentina episode you know we'll we'll give you a break (laughs) this week yeah Um, 
Hey, you learned some stuff you would have not expected. That's right. Get Go to your pub trivia. That's right. And then never get asked that question and be sad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so thanks again for listening. You know, we're here every week indefinitely. There's no missing any weeks for any reason. We we rotate between these kind of spinoff episodes and country profiles. Next week, do you have any uh, in- insight on uh, what's coming to the to the people back home? Yeah, yeah. So we're doing a country profile going to the Middle East, which we haven't covered a country from in a very long time. So I could say this about a lot of countries. Don't know much about it. It's not in the news too often, but it's in the Middle East. So that's your hint. Get to learn a lot of the traditional sports and some of the more common stuff. It'll be fun. Every episode's fun. Yeah. And I totally forgot to do the extra bit about, you know, so I'll do it right now. Um, If you like the show and you want to support us and you want to help us out, the best thing you can do is uh, share the podcast. The second best thing you can do is, you know, give us a like or a follow or a subscription on your podcasting platform of choice because we're on most of them, if not all of them. We have uh, an email in the show notes so you can get in touch with us, you know, get in contact. We love hearing from people. You know, let us know what we got right, what we got wrong, how many names we messed up, how many French words we said wrong. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.